Hello and welcome back to the VBPH Sermon Podcast. I'm Dave Smale, and this is a Testimony Tuesday edition. However, it's going to be a little different than you're used to. You see, when we did this interview, and I say we because if you've listened to these Testimony Tuesday episodes, you know that it's normally Pastor Adam doing the interviewing. Well, he was a little under the weather this time, so he asked me to step in. And so he was on the line, on mute, but I was doing the interviewing, and everything went really well. The interview went fine, except until after we were finished and we got all the audio files together and realized that we were missing an audio file. My audio file. And I was the one asking the questions. So you play it back. And there's these gaps of silence while our uh, interviewee is waiting for me to ask the question. And so I had to go back and basically overdub my questions to the interviewee. And uh, so it's going to not flow exactly as it would uh, in a regular conversation. So for that, we greatly apologize. However, we did not want to deprive this audience of the wonderful testimony, the wisdom, and the great stories of this individual. So without any further ado, we really hope you enjoy this interview with Pastor Ray Ruby. Hello, and welcome back to Testimony Tuesday on the VBPH Sermon Podcast. This is Pastor Adam with you again, and as you can probably tell by my voice, I am not sounding too well tonight. Uh, I caught double pneumonia, and wow, that that no joke. That's been taking it out of me for the last couple of days. So you're going to hear the voice of uh, our our brother Dave, who's going to be doing most of this interview tonight. Uh, welcome, Dave. Thanks for joining us tonight, and thank you for helping me out in my hour of need. So we are very, very blessed and privileged to have a great guest on our show tonight. It is Pastor Ray Ruby from Las Vegas, New Mexico. Welcome, Pastor. We're so glad to have you. Thank you very much for the invitation. Well, we have uh, Pastor Jeremiah Wacker to thank for that invitation, who uh, uh, once again has provided us a a good invite uh, to have a great guest on our show. So once again, shout out to Pastor Jeremiah. And... um, Wow, what a blessing it is. So I, I have to start out with just a quick story. Uh, the first, My first exposure to your ministry was when I was fresh on the mission field. Um, my wife and I were sent into the nation of Bulgaria. Within the first two weeks of us landing on the ground, not knowing what we were doing, uh, we went to a Romanian Bible conference. And I don't know how much you remember of that, but my wife and I were there, and it was a wild scene. But uh, I was exposed to your ministry there, and it was a great time. And uh, from then on, I've really appreciated your your messages and your your sermons, your your ministry, and uh, you've been a great blessing. Thank you. Appreciate that. So uh, at this point, I'm going to let Dave uh, begin, and uh, I'll, I'll I'll be on mute most of this time, and if I have any curious questions along the way, I will pop in, and uh, so take it away, Dave. Pastor Ruby, can you give us your best three-minute conference-style intro? Yeah, okay, well, my name is, my name's Ray Ruby, my wife is Patsy, we uh, married, been married 42 years last week, and uh, been in the ministry since November of uh, 1984, and 
been here since 1997, and we're excited about what God is doing and what he's going to do. Tell us about how and where you grew up. I was born in uh, Stockton, California. I have four brothers and a sister, and we were all born in Stockton except for my brother Fred. He was born on summer vacation in Arizona, but we were born in Stockton, California because my father took uh, his first teaching job in that city. My parents met at uh, Northern Arizona University in Flagstaff, Arizona, when they were both studying to be teachers, and uh, they married and moved to Stockton, kind of sight unseen. It was his first teaching job, and so that's where they uh, began to raise their family. And uh, then in 1970, as it turns out, when Pastor Mitchell was moving his family to Prescott, Arizona, my dad was moving us to Tucson, Arizona. And uh, so it was there in uh, 1978, July, uh, that I had gone to first a Saturday night concert at a place called The Door and uh, was powerfully convicted by the message I heard. Uh, it was kind of an interesting uh, scenario. It was in the, a little adobe building in the bad side of town in Tucson. It was packed full of young people. We all sat on the floor. Uh, this local band was playing uh, popular music, some of the songs everybody knew, but I could tell with my great discernment that they had changed the words. I knew that words didn't talk about Jesus. And uh, so I thought that was a little curious. And then a guy got up and preached, and I was just powerfully convicted, but I was too proud to respond to an altar call. And I left, and a friend of mine who had invited me the first time uh, just said he was going to go back. He wanted to check it out the following night. I thought it was another concert, but it was a church service. We got there late. I remember we sat in the back. Uh, the pastor, Harold Warner, was preaching. I had no idea what he was talking about. All I knew was that the Spirit of God was there. And then he said, bow your heads and lift your hand if you want to get saved. And I remember feeling powerfully convicted, but again, just too proud to respond to the altar call. A guy came up and witnessed to me, but I kind of fought him off, lied to him, did everything I could to get out of there. And uh, so this guy who invited me took me home, and I got out of the car, went into my front yard of my parents' home. It was a Sunday night, I'm guessing about 9.45 or so, and I had pretty much just had had enough at that point. I was 18 years old. My life was a mess. The previous six months, I found myself doing lots of things I said I would never do. Uh, I was in a spiral. Uh, mainly drugs, uh, some alcohol, and uh, I was just without direction. And I was, uh, I knew I was going to crash and burn at some point. And uh, so uh, I was convicted. I fell on my knees and I prayed. My, my sinner's prayer was, uh, if there is a Jesus Christ and you can hear me and you could do anything with my life, I'll give it to you. And that was it. That was my sinner's prayer. And I stood up. And it was like uh, I'd opened the door in my heart just to crack, and the Spirit of God just came in. And I knew something had happened. The reason was because the craving that I had to get high, which was a constant, it was 
when I got up in the morning all day, especially before I went to bed at night. And that craving that was a constant companion for at least five years of my life at that point uh, was gone. I just didn't have any craving at all. And it was it was it was noticeable. It was real. And so I was so startled by that, that and something came to my mind that the Bible would tell me about Jesus, because apparently Jesus had done this. And so I went into the side door of my house uh, and my brother was there. Over the years, I said it was different ones. They all denied. So I think it was probably Richard now that, uh, as I look back, he said, hey, Ray, let's go get high, which was, that would have been good news for me. That would have been automatic. We would have just gone right back outside and gotten high. And uh, But I remember looking at him and I said, no, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to be a, a Christian or born again, something like that. That sounded, I think, kind of corny because he gave me a really strange look. And he said, I'll give you two weeks with that one, because that's the way I was. I would kind of jump from this to that to whatever. But I was unfazed. I remember I walked past him, went to the shelf where this black King James Bible was. And I knew it was there, but I had no idea why it was there. All I know is that it was on the shelf. My parents were teachers, so they had different books. Nobody ever read it. But it was there, and I remember grabbing it, going to my room and closing the door and opening the Bible, and it happened to open right to the uh, Gospel of Matthew. And I just said, God, you're going to have to show me what this means, because I thought it was like reading a legal contract or something, you know, uh, just kind of obscure. And I just started to read, and uh, it took me about two weeks, but I remember I read through the New Testament, and that was the beginning of my Christian life. I went to the, back to that church, the door, the following Sunday, Sunday morning was the first service where I actually went there to go to church. And that was a real uh, eye-opener for me. I was raised Roman Catholic. Uh, I didn't like going to that church. Uh, I, it's the first time I'd ever been in a Protestant kind of a church, a non-Catholic church. And I remember it was cinder block building uh, that was right next to the little adobe building. And... Uh, it had metal chairs, and it's the first time I heard people speaking in, in tongues, which was amazing to me. But what that communicated to me was, uh, this is not just another denomination. There's something going on here that's supernatural. There's something, the Spirit of God is involved with these people somehow, and I was really intrigued by that. And so that, that was the beginning. How many siblings do you have? Four brothers. Four brothers and a sister. Can you describe what your family life was like growing up? Well, my parents, well, my father at the time was a teacher. He got a job at Stockton Junior High School. And my mother, though she was uh, a teacher, uh, she had her credentials. Uh, she ended up having five boys in almost five years, uh, a little over five years, rather. And then a few years later, uh, a little girl. And so uh, she was a stay-at-home mother, and we were basically her classroom. And uh, I think we really benefited from that. And uh, she read to us and talked to us and corrected the way we talked and all kinds of things. It was kind of interesting now that I look back because my uh, my mother's parents were from Sonora, Mexico, and they moved to Bisbee, Arizona, when my grandfather got a job in the in the copper mine, but they spoke very little English. 
And uh, so when my mother and her siblings first started school, all they spoke was Spanish. And so it was very difficult for them, especially in those days. They didn't really have uh, a program to teach kids how to speak English or anything. And so uh, her experience was not a good one. And so um, in looking back, I think it was pretty clear that she was determined that her children were not going to have that problem. So she made sure that we learned English well, that it was, English would be our first language. And uh, even though we've learned, picked up Spanish along the way, she didn't emphasize it in those early days. But she was on us a great deal about speaking English well and uh, for that reason. So, uh, so that's what the early days were like. Uh, growing up kind of in, 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 with a lot of brothers. Uh, we lived in a, a not a really big town. We lived on the edge of town in those days back in the 1960s. We just get, get on our bikes and ride, especially during summer and weekends and, you know, kind of go and do what we wanted to do and come home time to eat. And uh, those are good years. We, but the town, the town began to change. There were lots of elements. This was now the mid to late 1960s. A lot of things had been loosed into our world at that time. The Vietnam War was raging. Uh, there was a lot of protest. The hippies, drugs were now coming on really hard in, in Stockton, even among young kids. And so we first moved across town to another area, which seemed to be better. But uh, in time, it was about the same. And so my parents are both from Arizona. And so my dad got a position with a new college that was opening up in Tucson, uh, Pima Community College. And so he uh, moved us uh, to uh, Tucson in 1970. And as I said, it was the same year that Pastor Mitchell was moving his family back to Prescott. We were moving to Tucson. And uh, so we got established in Tucson uh, began to go to middle school, junior high school, as we called it then, high school. Uh, but I gravitated rather quickly in those days to uh, drugs and partying and all of that. Uh, my high school career wasn't uh, the most decorated, so to speak. I graduated for no other reason than that my counselor was willing to substitute an elective credit that I had for a math credit that I never got. And so because he was willing to give me a break, uh, I graduated and uh, went on with my life. I was really glad to put that behind me. And it was a little over a year later that I gave my life to Jesus Christ. And well, the rest is history. Could you elaborate a little bit on the circumstances that led you to opening your heart to Jesus Christ? Yeah, I, obviously my life was... Uh, you know, it was spiraling out of control. Uh, I started to smoke weed when I was 13 years old. A friend of mine got some. We began to do that and found out that I liked it. And uh, I said, uh, you know, uh, okay, well, I see, first of all, growing up, I never thought I would be into drugs. That was always very bad. You know, I had two parents who were teachers. Uh, and then he had some marijuana, some weed. So we got high and I liked it. And I said, okay, well, I'll smoke it with my friends, but I will never buy it. You know, I was too good for that. Then of course, found myself buying it. Then of course, I would never sell it. I was just too good for that. But then I found myself selling it, you know, it was just a spiral, one compromise after the other, uh, uh, doing things that uh, I said I would never do. And uh, 
you know, we used to laugh and mock when they would tell us, well, you know, marijuana is the, the gateway drug. You start there and you open up. And we'd laugh about that. But sure enough, you know, I was, uh, I didn't do a lot of coke in those days, but cocaine, because cocaine in those days was very expensive. I didn't have the money for that. That was a rich man's drug. It was before crack, thank God, or I would have probably been smoking crack. Uh, PCP was just coming in. Uh, but my drugs of choice uh, were uh, marijuana and uh, and LSD. LSD was a big drug that was during the 1960s and 70s, and uh, that became my favorite. Uh, you know, but LSD is very powerful, hallucinogenic. Lots of people who got messed up back in those days are still messed up because of uh, messing around with that. Uh, but that's what I was. Uh, I was into, I did some drinking and whatnot, but my life was a, a shambles. I couldn't hold a job. I didn't want to hold a job. Uh, it was just about getting to the next high, and I knew I was in trouble. Did you have any spiritual background or experiences with God before you were saved? Well, my parents, uh, my mother especially, took us to church, a Catholic church when we were kids, and uh, she would talk to us about God. And uh, and again, a lot of this is retrospect, looking back. But I now think back on the earlier days, and I remember my mother uh, being a young mother with, uh, you know, very small children, lots of them being uh, far away from home, uh, and uh, she really dealing with a lot of personal stress. And she, over the years, told me, told us that, you know, she would pray and talk to God. And there was more than just the kind of uh, Catholic prayers, the memorized prayers, whatnot, that she just talked to God, you know, and uh, with an honest heart. And God heard her, you know, she would pray for her children because she's always felt like uh, she dealt with anemia, that she might not, uh, you know, be there for us and whatnot. And she would pray for us. And I remember being a young child and her telling me that God was there and God listens and whatnot. And many times being alone, and talking to God and really feeling like uh, he was there and that he heard me, you know. And even though I was doing bad things, even as a small child, you know, uh, I was always uh, kind of aware of the fact that God was watching or whatever. And it was funny because uh, I would do certain sins. I knew there were sins and I would feel guilty. And I would try to commit the sin in a way that would be less less offensive to God, which just sounds strange, but that's the mind of a child. I remember the first time uh, one of the neighbor kids, he's a couple years, two, three, well, probably three or four years older than me, which means he was about 10 and I was about six. Uh, uh, we went to the local food fair, grocery store, and we're walking down the, the aisle and uh, he took a bag of potato chips and shoved it under my sweatshirt and then we walked out and uh, we walked out and I was I was mortified I was horrified uh, and but he's a bigger kid we went around the back of the food fair in the field and uh, you know ate the chips and uh, we were kind of laughing about it and whatnot but I was I was I, I was sure there's just a matter of time I was going to go home the cops are going to come racing up the driveway, and I was headed to the big house. I was sure that was going to happen because of the guilt I felt and uh, that I was 
And I was really disappointed with myself because I wasn't one of the good guys. You know, TV, you had the good guys and the bad guys. Batman was a good guy. And he uh, stopped the bad guys. And I was now a bad guy. I was a robber. You know, I was a thief. And I felt it. And then, of course, uh, the cops never came. And that communicates another message. So. so it was more your mother's side of the family that was the spiritual side? Yeah, well, she really did. Like I said, I think she had a, an earnest uh, prayer life, even though she didn't have a lot of direction. We found out years later. We left Stockton in 1970. Uh, we went back. We had a family reunion. Uh, and uh, we ended up passing through Stockton on the way to Sacramento, where my brother Herb lives. And we stopped in Stockton in the old neighborhood. And on a lark, I knocked on the neighbor's door. Because the rest of the neighborhood looked different, but that house looked the same. And so I knocked on the door and I asked, well, it was, it, it, as it turned out, even though it was 24 years later, uh, more than that, because we left that neighborhood uh, in about 1968 uh, or so, uh, it was the same lady. Her name was Mrs. Gaines. I knew her as Mrs. Gaines. She was a neighbor. And I asked her, I said, Mrs. Gaines, do you remember five little boys live next door. And she said, you're a school teacher, aren't you? And I said, no, that was my father, but I was one of the little boys. And you know what she said? She said, I used to pray, I used to pray for you and your family and for your uncle around the corner in his family. My uncle lived around the corner. And I said, Mrs. Gaines, four of those five little boys are Pentecostal preachers. And uh, her eyes were, went huge. She said, I used to tell your mother about the Lord. We had no idea that here was a next door neighbor telling my mother about Jesus. We didn't know praying for our family. We didn't know. And uh, so it was amazing that God, I think God gave her that moment just to encourage her that her life wasn't in vain, that her prayers for her neighbors and whatnot mattered. And, uh, but that was an amazing moment. We had no idea but it shows the power of prayer. Okay, we, 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 we've already gotten enough out of this interview. Thank you so much. That's all we needed. <laughs> we'll be right back after this. <laughs> what changes did you see in your life right away, or how did you know your life was different? Well, they were pretty immediate, pretty dramatic. Uh, see, my brothers began to get saved. Uh, I was saved in July of 78. And then Richard and Herb and Fred got saved in April of 79. And uh, so I began to go to the church, the door in Tucson. And uh, I stopped getting high, stopped drinking. I uh, uh, stopped living the way that I was living, stopped staying out at all hours, you know. And uh, my life totally changed. And I, I immediately began to tell my brothers especially about Jesus because one of the real motivators – uh, for why I got saved that night, kind of a backstory. I'd already, people had already witnessed to me. I had read uh, tracks about the rapture. That was kind of a big topic, you know, Bible prophecy, late great planet earth, the book that was out, Pal Lindsay and uh, other, other things going on. And so I was aware of that. And so I really didn't want to go to hell. I didn't want to miss the rapture. And uh, so I got, that was one of the motivations for uh, deciding I needed to find out if there was anything to this Jesus and born again thing. And um, uh, so I began to 
really press in on my brothers after that and tell them, you know, you got to get saved. Your rapture is going to happen. You guys are going to miss it and whatnot. And so they would come with me. They started to come to church, but they would just kind of hang around and uh, kind of come and go and that kind of thing. And and I would pray for them I, on Friday nights, Saturday nights. I knew where they were. They were out partying. And I remember being home praying for them because I didn't want the devil to kill them, you know, driving drunk or higher or something happened, you know, things could. And so I remember all those, those months praying for them and uh, and witnessing to them. And it was kind of funny because I'd come home from church and uh, they'd hear me drive up. And I'd walk around to go inside the house. I could hear like furniture scooting on the floor, you know, and then the house would be empty. It's like, hello, 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 hello. You know, and I could hear doors closing and whatnot. They didn't want to hear it. And uh, they got tired of hearing it, basically. And I didn't always use the greatest wisdom. I kind of lacked wisdom. Uh, I kind of used the, the 50 cal machine gun approach, you know, to evangelism in close quarters. And, uh, you know, just the way it was, I uh, wish I could take back some of that, but you can't, you know. I gave my mother a book called Mystery Babylon, which is not a good idea. Yeah, if you're thinking about giving that as a Christmas present to some of your Catholic relatives, don't do it. Don't do it. It's not worth it. It was a bad idea. It didn't go over well. Um, <laughs> so those are the early days. but. Uh, God began to really change my life and, uh, friends began to hear about it, whatnot. I'd talked to them. We had many of the same friends. People began to talk about how I became a Jesus freak and whatnot. And my life had changed. And, uh, uh, and over time, you know, it'd only been a number of months. Uh, my brothers, like I said, would go to church. I was really hoping they'd get saved and serve God, but they'd kind of be messing around with it. And uh, I ended up getting a job, um, the best job I ever had. I was working for AT&T in those days when it used to be the real AT&T, not like today. But uh, anyway, I remember I was working swing shifts, and I came home one night on a Saturday night. I was working to swing that night. And uh, my brother Richard came up to me, and he said, hey, Ray, I went to the door. And uh, to me at the time, I was like, well, okay, so what else is new? You know, it was a concert. And I said to him, so what did you do? Just stand around and look stupid? He said, no, I got saved. And when he said that, it was like I pierced in the heart because I knew I could tell by how he said it that he was sincere. And uh, he wasn't just kind of messing around like he and my brothers used to do. Uh, but he really went there. I guess God was just dealing with him. And that night he went, answered the altar call, gave his life to Jesus, and he didn't look back. And about a week later, my brothers Herb and Fred uh, went to church and they prayed. But immediately after that, I, we got a call. He, they got a call, I should say, from a cousin uh, in Winslow uh, who asked them to bring them some dope from Tucson. And so they kind of reasoned in their own minds, well, just one more, you know, one more trip, one more party, and then we're going to serve God. And I was very troubled by that. And I was uh, praying for them, um, really hoping that God would intervene. Um, I tried to talk to them. I remember telling, well, Fred reminded me that I said to him, 
Uh, the Bible says, no one having put his hand to the plow looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. And he said it stuck in his mind. Well, anyway, the next day I came home about four o'clock in the afternoon and my older brother, who was not a Christian, he said, hey, Ray, did you hear what happened to Herb and Fred? And I was immediately concerned because I knew they were on the road. They were traveling. And I said, what? And he said, they're in jail in Prescott, Arizona. And I said, praise God. And he, he thought I was crazy, you know. He goes, why are you happy about that? I just said, because that's the hand of God. That's why. And uh, he didn't know about the church in Prescott or anything like that. So the next day, myself and now my cousin in Tempe, Arizona, who had gotten saved and was going to the Tempe church, uh, we drove up to Prescott and bailed him out. And uh, so as it, as it turned out, Herb, uh, what had happened is they were driving up to Winslow. They're going down up I-17, passing the Cords Junction that would take you to Prescott. And Herb got pulled over for making an illegal lane change, which is pretty obscure. And uh, Herb said he, the cop standing there at the window, he knew the dope was in the glove compartment, but he just he said he just reached over and opened it anyway, and, and it fell out. And so they were arrested. The car was impounded, and they were taken to Prescott. Fred was in the juvenile center, and Herb was in the county jail. And Herb was so freaked out by that that he said he didn't sleep all night. He uh, stayed up all night and read a book called Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. Fred was in the juvenile center, and a guy there, uh, one of the workers, went to the, uh, at the time, the Four Square Church there in Prescott and witnessed to Fred all night. And so uh, by morning, they, they were ready to, they were ready to serve God. And we, we drove them back home. They were very so, somber. And excuse me, they, uh, they were committed after that. So that's how, that's how those early days uh, kind of got started. And then my brother, Ernie, the oldest, who was not a Christian, it was about oh, five months later or so that uh, things kind of unraveled for him. And I looked up on a Wednesday night and he was sitting there, second row. And uh, he answered the altar call on his own, got saved. And then after church, he asked me if I could, get, he, I could give him a ride home. We lived in the same place. Uh, and apparently he had taken the bus, which blew my mind. He took the bus clear across town to go to church to get saved. And so God, God was really moving at that point. And so my brothers, at that point, you know, we were, we were saved and we, we served God after that. You've reached the end of the preview of this Testimony Tuesday episode. If you want to hear the second half of this interview, please use the links in the show notes to subscribe. You'll get daily sermons, full testimonies, and an interruption-free listening experience. And every dollar goes to world evangelism. Thanks for listening to this episode of Testimony Tuesday on the VBPH Sermon Podcast. Thanks again for listening to the free version of the VBPH Sermon Podcast, where we post sermons on Mondays, Wednesdays, Fridays, and Sundays. We also have a premium version of this podcast, which posts sermons and interviews every single day of the week. So why would you want to subscribe? I'm glad you asked. I have five reasons for you. Number one, 
On the premium version, we post full versions of Testimony Tuesday, Pastor Campbell Thursday, and Study Day Saturday. If you'd like to hear those episodes, then subscribe now. Reason number two, uninterrupted listening. We remove all ads and all extraneous content from our premium feed. Reason number three, premium episodes always release six hours earlier than the free version. If you're an early bird, it's a great reason to subscribe. Number four, our subscribers will gain access to our sermon chat group on WhatsApp, where we interact directly with listeners around the globe. If you'd like to chat with other premium subscribers, subscribe today. And finally, every dollar we raise goes to world evangelism. This is the best reason to subscribe because you are helping us launch churches all around the world. We don't put one dime in our pockets. Everything that we raise from this podcast will go directly to Thursday night of Chandler Conference. So please subscribe today by using the links in the show notes below. Thanks. Thank you so much for listening to the sermon podcast of the Virginia Beach Potter's House Church. Were you blessed by today's message? Let us know. Please leave us a rating on Apple Podcast or on Podchaser. We'll be back next time with another life-changing word from heaven. God bless. God bless.